Um, so I, I kind of had this question, how do we keep these stones of remembrance in front of us? And, I, and this could just be like, just kind of where I'm at, but I really feel um, God wants us, especially in this next year and hopefully beyond that, but to really be a community of prayer. And, and, and here's why I think that's so important. Prayer allows us and, and in many ways forces us to recognize who God is. Like to recognize that we are not God, but God is God. And prayer puts us in a place of dependence. Prayer, prayer and often puts us in a place of, 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 I think, holy desperation, recognizing who God is, what he's able, what, what he's able to do. And so I want to give you um, a, a three kind of prayers, prayers for three things to keep those stones of remembrance in front of us. When we started our weekend together, we looked at that story in Ezekiel when he stands over that valley of dry bones and God said, just speak, speak life over those. And God breathed life and knit them together and brought life out of that place. And I think for some of you, that's something that happened in a very real way in your life, even in these few short days. That God just breathed life into some places, some places that felt like that valley of dry bones. And so I want to give you three prayers of God to, to bring three things to life in you and, and also in our community um, in, in this year. The first... and and Tim loves when I do this, but these are all like little phrases, they're alliterations, um, all little phrases I have, but they're helpful for me. Maybe they're helpful for you. They're 100% corny, but they are helpful. First, I want to pray that God would give us a renewal of reliance, a renewal of reliance. And this is essentially a prayer for humility, a prayer for humility. Um, and we see this so perfectly modeled in the person of Jesus, this this, this humility as we pray for a renewal of reliance. Um, if you went into that coffee shop here and you saw this guy who was in his mid-30s and he was sitting there and he was talking to his dad, an older man, and you kind of eavesdrop in on that conversation and you were listening to them talk and you just heard the son say, well, well what, what, what would you do? Okay, well, I'm gonna do that. Where would you go? Okay, I'm gonna go there. Well, where would you not go? Okay, I, I won't go there. Now, if you were kind of eavesdropping on that, you might think, okay, this guy, he's like, he's 30 and he's still that dependent on what his father says and where his father says he should go and what his father says to do. But that is exactly what was going on with Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus uh, had this non-anxious presence about him. He was the most fully human human ever uh, because he just orbited his entire life around this relationship with his father. And a lot of times what we try to do is we try to bend kind of that, we try to bend Jesus around our lives. Jesus said, no, my life is completely dependent on the father and where he tells me to go and what he tells me to do, where he tells me not to go. Um, Humility is the key to closeness with God. If you have a Bible, open real quick to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12, we're going to look at this just story just briefly um, about Moses has this interaction with his brother and um, sister Miriam and, and Aaron. And we're going to see that this humility is the key to closeness with God. So in Numbers chapter 12, um, it says this, Miriam and Aaron, again, brother and sister of, of Moses, they spoke against Moses 
um, because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he'd married a Cushite woman. So Miriam and Aaron are talking trash about Moses' wife. That's the, the scene here. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And this is the scary part of verse 2. <laughs> and the Lord heard it. And then go to verse 4. And then suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam. This is the beginning of a very bad meeting for these two. Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. He said, if there's a prophet among you. In other words, if a prophet was like a, a, a spokesperson or like a mouthpiece for God. He said, if there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord... I make myself known to him in a vision. I, I speak with him in a dream. He says, in other words, if there's, if there's somebody that I've sent to you that I'm going to speak through, I'll, I'll throw him a dream. I'll throw him a vision. You know, I'll throw him something that he's got to kind of decrypt to give to you. But, but it, well, he says, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. And he says, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And, and we're not going to go through the whole story, but he essentially puts le- uh, leprosy on, on, on Miriam and Moses. You would think in that moment, okay, these two, they just got busted. They were speaking against his wife, right? God uh, gives this discipline to her. Now, if you're in that situation, right, you find out somebody's speaking about you or speaking about somebody that you love, and there's an opportunity for this kind of vengeance, you say, okay, well, that makes sense. They, that should happen. Moses, he stands up and he says, God, please, please have mercy on him. Now, why is it that Moses had such a unique relationship with God. God says, I speak to him clearly. I, I, I speak to him mouth to mouth. Look at, look at verse three. Now the man Moses was very meek or humble, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Now, humility is not thinking less of yourself, right? So sometimes we think humility is like, okay, well, I'm not very good, or I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not this, or I'm, I'm not that. That's not, that is not humility. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Do you know who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses. So who wrote Moses chapter 12, verse 3? Now the man Moses <laughs> was very humble, was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15 says, for this is what the high and exalted one says. This is what God Almighty said. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. This is what God says. I live in a high and holy place. My, my address is completely different than your address. It's where I live. But also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I live with the one who is meek and humble and the one who is broken over their sin. I live with the one who is desperate for a relationship with me knowing that they have done nothing to earn that relationship. That's who I'm with. I am high and I'm holy. I'm completely other than you or anybody you know or anything you know but I am with the one 
who is lowly, contrite, and meek, and humble. We need to pray for a renewal of reliance and dependence. We need to pray for humility. The second need that we, thing we need to pray for is a revival of resistance. A revival of resistance. And this is a prayer for holiness. A revival of resistance. Flip over to uh, Daniel chapter 3. It's just to the right a little bit. Daniel chapter 3. With this prayer of revival of resistance, we're asking God to bring back to life a desire for other than this. So holiness, I know that can kind of sound like a really churchy word, but holy just essentially means other than, totally unique, set apart. There's nothing like that. So God is holy, 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 meaning that throughout all time, um, eternity past, eternity future, God is other than. And we need to ask God to bring back into our life a desire for other than-ness. This is, this is what Tim was talking about with the, with the Joshua and Caleb story. Yes, it, 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 it does have this um, just kind of averageness to it and that we're just going to put our head down, we're just going to work, we're going to grind. But, and, and he was saying that's, that's not something that's very common. And the people of God are to be set apart to where they have a very uncommon life. We're doing very common things, but we're doing them in an uncommon way. In Daniel chapter 3, maybe you've heard this story, but there's this king. um, His name is Nebuchadnezzar. And what Nebuchadnezzar did is he built this giant gold statue um, and he, and he set it up, and, he, and, and, and this gold statue was to be uh, something that everybody would bow down to. So they would have this big kind of noise. There were all these instruments that would all play at the same time. And essentially when that happened, everybody was supposed to bow down to that. Well, there were these three, um, these, these three boys, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they, they were exiles there in, in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Um, they, were, they were people of God. They followed Yahweh. Um, and, and they had made a commitment to God. They had made a commitment to God that their worship was going to be to the one true God and the one true God alone. So this scenario poses for them a place of decision making, a, a place where, where they had to make a choice. Are we going are, are to live for holiness other than this? Um, or are we going to fall in line with the rest of culture? And, and you'll see what, what happens. So in verse 8 of Daniel chapter 3, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews, the, these boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They declared to Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, every kind of music shall fall down and worship this golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these were some government officials. These boys had worked hard. Again, they had done common things in an uncommon way. They had gotten promoted, caught the eye of the king. And they, and they, they said, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your God or worship the golden image that you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar was furious over this. He commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought forward. And they come forward and he says to them, Is it true, in verse 14, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now he says, Okay, I'm going to give you another chance. We're going to make all the noise. We're going to play all the instruments. 
He's like, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And I think a lot of times you guys are poised with that question. You're given the, you're given the opportunity. Are you going to bow down to the golden image of the culture? And you put it in whatever category, and you know, I, mean, I think God's speaking to you. you don't, I don't even have to lay that out for you. You just know what that is, that you have a decision every day. Are you going to bow down to the God of this culture? And the, and, the, and, the lie, and the lie that is spoken to you in that moment is, can your God really provide for you? Can your God really come through for you? More than this, more than this idol. And listen to what these boys say. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't even have to answer this question. Just save all the noise. We don't even need it. Because if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, I love this, verse, verse 18. He says, you know what? But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you've set up. We are fully confident that God will provide, that God can deliver, and that God is able And if it doesn't show up in a tangible way in this moment, if it doesn't answer exactly like how I want it to answer in my life, let it be known that we will not bow down to the gods of this culture, to the idols of this culture. Let it be known that we, the people of God, are gonna be other than. Let it be known that we, the people of God, are gonna be a people who pursue holiness. If you're familiar with the story, you know what happens. They blow the noise. The guys don't bow. Nebuchadnezzar's furious. Turns up the furnace seven times what it was. So hot that the guys who were standing by get burned up. They they bound the three boys up. They throw them in the furnace. And he's just waiting for them to be instantly incinerated. But that doesn't happen. He says in verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Yes, that's exactly what happened. And he, and he answered and he said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Scholars will say that that fourth was a pre-incarnate Jesus, meaning Jesus before Jesus came. God is with you in those moments when you're pursuing holiness. This is not like, hey guys, everybody pull yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps. It's time to be holy. No, this is when you say, I will not bow to the gods of this culture, to the idols of this day. God is with you in that moment. And God is bringing deliverance. Tim talked about that. That God provides that way. God provides that way out of temptation. God is with you when you say, we are gonna be a people who pursue holiness. Nebuchadnezzar sees this, he's astonished, he pulls them out. And then he makes this amazing decree. In verse 28, he said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own. Nebuchadnezzar is a pretty extreme guy. Listen to what he says in verse 29. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God, the God of these three men 
shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God. Listen to this verse, maybe even highlight it if your Bible's open there. There is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. If this, if this is just all over you right now and you're just in a challenge where you're like, man, holiness, holiness just seems like such a battle that I cannot win. It seems like a battle that I never win. Highlight this verse that no God can deliver you like the one true God. We need to pray for a revival of resistance. We need to pray uh, for holiness. And then lastly, lastly, and this is super fitting with just everything that God brought us through Tim this weekend, we need to pray for a resurrection of remembrance. That is, God is bringing things to life um, in our lives. We need to pray for a resurrection of remembrance. And we're praying for hunger. We're praying that God would bring back to life my, my first love. That God would bring, it, bring back to life that, that moment when I just was at the foot of the cross. And I realized full well, God opened up my eyes. God breathed life into me. I went from death to life. I went from blind to seeing. And, I, and that moment where God just captured me, captivated me. Um, has anybody in here, have you ever, ever had food poisoning? Okay, food poisoning is the worst, right? Or, you, or you've gotten really sick and there's something that you like threw up, right? Now, when that happens to you, like how ready are you to go back to eat that thing, right? No way. If I, if I said it right now, you, right? You can't, it's, it's, it's so bad. Have you ever had like a really, really great meal? Like a really great meal. Freddie cooked for us, by the way. Thank you, Freddie. I'll, uh, again, for cooking for us. Um, those weren't necessarily great meals, but thanks, Freddie. I appreciate it. No, I, that was good. Have you ever had a, like a really, really great meal? You know, like you, you, whatever, your favorite restaurant kind of place. My, my wife and I, we get in these kind of ruts. Like there are certain places we'll go to. Like if we ever go to Peter Jungle, I feel we get the same thing every time. Just same kind of same thing. But if you've ever had a really great meal, it's an awesome memory and you just can't wait to go back to that, right? Like that, that, like that steak you had or whatever it is. Like, um, or if you're a vegetarian <laughs> for whatever reason, you know, like that piece of kale you had and you just can't <laughs> wait to get back to that, you know? Um, we need to pray that God would take us back to that moment where we just first tasted how good he is and that God would just give us a resurrection of that remembrance and that God would give us once again just that, that appetite, that hunger for him. You, you, you know, the thing about God is that he knows all about our appetites. He, he knows about the things that you're hungry for. God knows about your appetite for acceptance. God knows about your appetite for love. He, he, he built that into you. He knows that some of you, you're, you're, you're starving for that. And because you're starving, you'll go to anything and anyone that promises just a, a morsel of that acceptance and that love. And it doesn't matter what you have to sacrifice or compromise or give up, just so long as you can just, just taste just 
just taste somebody telling you that they love you, that they want you. He, he knows about your appetite for pleasure and delight and joy. And he knows that some of you, you're, you're just starving for that. And so you'll, you'll chase these fleeting things that, that offer pleasure or delight or joy on the tip of your tongue, but make you nauseous on the back end. And he knows about where you go and what you do to chase these things and to fill these appetites. And he also knows that all of those things that you're chasing after, all those things you're starving for, all those things that you have an appetite for, he also knows that they are fully satisfied in him. In Psalm 34, 8, he says, taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see just how good I am and how satisfied you'll be in me. He said, blessed, happy is the one who takes refuge in him. Stop running to all these other things. Stop running to all these other people. Stop running to all these other places. Stop chasing all these other idols. Stop chasing all these other things that are just going to make you nauseous. He says, take refuge in me. Taste and see how good I am. God is encouraging us, look, don't spoil your appetite, right? You know, like your kids, like we say that to our kids all the time. Don't spoil your appetite. Don't spoil your appetite. Don't spoil your appetite for what love and, and, and uh, fulfillment and marriage is going to be. Don't spoil your appetite with all these other little affairs. Don't spoil your appetite with what true acceptance and, uh, and approval is found in, in me, God says, with, with chasing all these other places where you have to make compromise after compromise. And some of you, you've done that for so long and you're so far and you, haven't, you don't even know who you are anymore. Don't go, don't go spoiling your appetite for delight and joy and pleasure and all these other things that are, are just letting you down and that are eating you up from the inside out. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or rightness. Who, who is the only truly righteous one? Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for Jesus for they will be filled, he says. Jesus says, be hungry for me. Be thirsty for me. Be parched for me. Be starving. If you're gonna be starving, be starving for more of me because I'm the only one who will truly fill you up. Um, Jesus is very interesting to me in um, how closely connected he is to eating and meals, maybe because I'm Italian, so I really dig that. But um, I, I was thinking actually last night, just kind of through the Gospels and through the life of Jesus and how closely connected his life was to these significant moments with meals. So the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed was at a wedding feast. Um, and as you look at Jesus in his life, he had subsequent miracles that all had to do with feedings, feedings of the 4,000, feeding the 5,000, and not just feeding people like, hey, here's a little bit, you know, but feeding so that there's a ton left over. So he's extravagant in his, in his feeding. Jesus was known, his reputation was uh, for going to these dinner parties. And um, sometimes he went to really wealthy people's house, but um, a lot of times he was eating with sinners, like me and you. Um, he was eating with 
drunks and tax collectors and sinners. And we find Jesus at the table with all these people. He said of himself, um, because he knows we, we are hungry, he said of himself, I'm, I'm the bread of life. Um, he had an interaction with one woman who was extremely desperate in her situation in life. Um, and he told her, he said, I'm living water. And I'll provide for you so that you'll never be thirsty. He told um, parables of these banquets. And the people who were invited to the banquets are the, all those who are on the highways and the byways. And the, and the people who were desperate and the people who were outcasts. And the people who weren't getting invited to any other dinner parties. He said, those are the ones that I want at the table with me. Um, at the Last Supper, there's this phrase, if you look at that in the scriptures, he, he has this, um, this phrase, he, he says to the, to the men, his followers who are at the table with him, he looks at them and he said, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. And that and it literally translates to, I have desired with great desire to eat with you. These guys who had followed him for three years and you'd say, well, man, they're his friends, of course, but you've got to realize who's at the table. There's the one who would betray him. There's the one who would doubt. There's the one who would lie about even knowing him. And there's those who would abandon him in his most desperate hour. And he looks at them. He says, you have no idea how much I want this meal at this table with you guys. He says, and he holds up, he says, this, this is bread. It represents my body. He tears it. He says, this is what happened to me. He holds up a cup. He says, I'm making a brand new promise with my people. It's not a promise that's based on what you can do or sacrifices that you'll make. It's based fully and totally on me and the sacrifice that I'll make in just a few short hours. And then the cross happens and that body is ripped to shreds. That body is crushed, not for his sin, not for his offense, but for mine and for yours. And then there's the glory of the resurrection where one time for all time the power of Satan's sin and death is completely broken, completely trampled on. Post-resurrection, um, one of my favorite meals in John chapter 21 happens. Um, one of the guys who was at the table um, was Peter. And if you're not familiar with Peter, Peter is one of Jesus' followers and he's probably his most brash, brazen, like ready, shoot, aim followers. Um, and Peter, um, post that supper and pre-crucifixion, there's this kind of space in between. Peter is close to where all this is going down and Jesus is being interrogated and beaten and it's an extremely tense moment. And Peter's following kind of at a distance, trying to be kind of safe. And he's sitting around a fire and he's asked three times, are you not one of the followers of Jesus? Were you not with him? And he denies ever knowing him. And in fact, in one way, he denies it so vehemently with this teenage girl, he swears, it's not me. And Jesus said, Peter, this is exactly what you're going to do. And Peter said, I'll never do that. And that happens, rooster crows, Peter's crushed. Jesus is crucified. Peter says, you know what? I blew it. I blew it. It's all over. I'm going back to my old life. I'm going back to my old life as a fisherman. 
I, I messed it up too much. I, did, I, I mean, there's no way that I could come back from that. Some of you, you feel like that. You feel like there's things that you've done, maybe even recently, you just feel like there's no way I can come back. So I went back to my old life and that's just where I'm gonna stay. And that's just what it is. So in chapter 21, Peter says, I'm going fishing. So you guys say, okay, we're going with you. Just as day was breaking in chapter 21, verse four, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples, they're out in the fishing boat. They didn't know um, that it was Jesus. And the scripture tells us that these guys, they had fished all night long and they caught nothing. So um, just imagine this scenario. So Jesus has been crucified. Your whole life, you know, you, 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 the, for the past three years is completely devoted to this man and what he's going to do and how he's going to overthrow the government and tyranny. And he's crucified and he's beaten in the most brutal way, shredded. And then you go back and you say, okay, well, we're going back to our old life. We go fishing. We fish all night. We catch nothing. So there's this, we're totally bummed out here. Um, the next day, Jesus comes and he says to them, children, do you have any fish? He's God. He knew they didn't have any fish. Yes, anyway. They said, no. And he said, well, why don't you cast the net on the right side of the boat? You'll find some. So they do. And they were able to haul it in because of, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, therefore says to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard this, so the very Peter who denied Jesus, when he hears this, he put on his armor, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. I love this little detail. It's funny to me. The other disciples came in the boat because <laughs> they were only about 100 yards off. So <laughs> Peter, again, this kind of guy he is, he sees, they, he says, that's the Lord. He's like, I believe it is. He takes off swimming. You just see the guys on the boat. They're like, okay. <laughs> Peter's swimming in. Um, now this, this interaction is amazing to me. And I love, I love this, this meal that Jesus has. When they got out on land, they saw a fire in place fish laid out on it and bread and Jesus said bring some of the fish that you've just caught so Peter brings some fish and in verse 12 I'll just imagine this moment the last time that Peter saw Jesus he was denying that he ever knew him and now he's face to face with him if you're Jesus what would you say say I told you so I knew you would he says, come, have something to eat. Come have breakfast with me. After a night of failure, Jesus meets him with, let's eat. Jesus has a desire to fill you up with what you need the most, and that's himself. And after your failures, Jesus doesn't meet you with condemnation. He meets you with an invitation. And if you look down at the end of that passage, the last thing he says to him is, Peter, follow me. So do you love me? Peter says, you know I do. Follow me. He doesn't meet you with condemnation. You were condemned, but that was poured out on him at the cross. And if you've come to him in repentance and faith, you walk in that freedom. He doesn't meet you with condemnation. He meets you with an invitation follow me. You want to be hungry? Be hungry for me. You want to be filled up? Be filled up with what I bring you. And you need to know that Jesus knew exactly what Peter needed in that moment. 
He needed an invitation to come and eat breakfast with him. And in your moment, Jesus knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what you need to be filled up in him. So how do we get back to these places of remembrance that Tim took us through this weekend? How do we get back and keep in front of us these places of remembrance of God's faithfulness? He's never gonna leave us. And God's love, he's always gonna love us. How do we keep that? How do we keep that when we're faced with places of temptation? We're faced with, with, with places of fear and, and, and doubt and failure. How do we get back to, you're never gonna leave me. You're always gonna love me. We pray for God to give us a renewal of reliance. Pray for humility, dependency on him. God, I need you every hour. I need you. We pray for a revival of resistance. God, be with me. Be with me. I want to live a life that's other than. I want a life of holiness. I don't want to go with the current of the culture. I don't want to bow down to these false gods, these golden images that are everywhere. God, I want to be known as, as, as other than a follower of you. And then lastly, we pray for a resurrection of remembrance. God, give me the, the hunger. There's an incredible book by A.W. Tozer. You've heard me talk about it a lot called The Pursuit of God. At the end of the first chapter, um, he writes these prayers at the end of each chapter. At the end of the first chapter, he, he, he says, God, I, I need you. I, I, I thirst to be more thirsty still. I, I'm hungry to be more hungry still. And I, and I need you to even need you. In other words, God, I can't even properly want you without you birthing that desire in me, breathing that desire into me. I I, I need you to even need you. 